It's great to have you here again with us this morning at Anthem. Um, I know because I'm a dad that one of the sort of the common feelings of dads, and actually I think uh, the common feeling of men in general is that feeling, just that feeling of sometimes being a fake and sometimes being a fraud. Um, and that sometimes, that somehow someone's going to pull the curtain back on who I am one day and realize that I'm not a great husband, I'm not as great a dad as, as maybe people thought I was, or the facade that I was putting across, that I'm not the best employee, I'm not as great with my finances that I hoped I'd be, I haven't got enough saved. That, do you know what I mean, fellas? That there's often this feeling that we have that we don't measure up and that we're somehow not you know, not as real as we hoped we should be. And if you're sitting next to a, a, a dad today, or if you're sitting next to a father, don't, don't ask them if that's the case for them, because, um, well, they ain't going to answer you correctly anyway, because they're a fake. So uh, there you go, I'm on your side, dads. I'm trying to stick with you today. But, um, but we often feel, in fact, I think it's um, part of just the, the sort of the, the human condition, if you will, just a common feeling to feel like we don't measure up, to feel like we're not as good as we should be. In fact, um, one of, maybe you've experienced this before, but I have often invited people to come to church with me at Anthem or other churches that I've been a part of. And of the people that have said to me in the past, no, I don't want to come, the most common reason for why people say uh, they don't want to come to church with me when I invite them to church, for people that say I'm not coming, the most common reason why people say that I'm not coming is this. And maybe you've had this experience too. Maybe you've been the person that's actually said this in the past, but they'll usually say something like, I'm worried that if I walk in the door, lightning will strike me as soon as I get in there. There's a, there's a high possibility that lightning will strike when I walk in the front door. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that? Um, like, I, I think we all fall into some category on that. We've either heard it or we've said it ourselves. And I usually try to convince people, more recently since we've been at Anthem, I usually try to convince people, listen, it, you know, it's not real. It's, we meet in a hotel, so that doesn't count. But people are like, well, you know, honestly... It says church on the door, so if I walk in, you know, the lightning's going to come and, you know, they don't want to be responsible for burning down the Doubletree Hilton. And so even, even uh, people at Anthem have said that, the people who've said why they don't want to come to church, people have said that to me about why they're not coming. I've got two bits of good news for you this morning. Firstly, um, I've been around the church for a few decades now, uh, a number of decades, and I honestly haven't seen the lightning thing happen once. I mean, I'm sure there's, there's, uh, there's times when it's happened, but um, I haven't seen it happen, so I think you might be on, on safe ground. And the second piece of information I have for you is that we have actual data, and this is from research that we've been involved in across churches across the country since coronavirus started and everything. There's actual data to show that that, that as far as America is concerned, there hasn't been a single church like walk in the door lightning strike for anybody who's gone to online church. So it specifically doesn't work for online church. So fear not, even though you might be just scrolling through the feed on the Facebook one morning and you accidentally inadvertently press the live button on some church's live stream, live stream don't worry, you are not going to face a lightning strike in your living room and in your jammies or anything like that. You're, you're safe. And I know that even with that, some of you are thinking that, you know, someone out there listening is thinking that I might be the first one, that I'm going to be the, the, you know, the target for the 1.21 gigawatts. It's going to come my direction, even though no one else has had it. And here's the problem. We have this habit of comparing our worst days to everybody else's best days, Right? Like, it, just take, for example, the idea of walking into church. We have the habit of thinking when we walk into something like, ch like church, when 
the reason why we got there in the first place is because we tried everything else, because we're a little desperate, because it feels like we're at the end of our rope, because it feels like nothing else is mattering. We're feeling very disconnected from God. We're feeling very disconnected from people. So, so, so despite all our fears and failures and issues and hang-ups, we, we make it into a church door. And yet it can seem that everybody else is everybody else's life is just all put together. Everybody else's spirituality is a, an A-plus rating and as is an F, you know? And so, so I know that it can feel like, even with the stats, that the lightning thing doesn't happen, that sometimes you feel like it's about to take place in your life. Now, one of the, the mandates that Jesus gave to Peter, who was one of his earliest followers, uh, he gave Peter, at the end of Jesus' time on earth, he gave Peter some specific instructions. And he said, I want you to see your life as an opportunity to strengthen and encourage weaker followers of Jesus or people who are trying to think, well, do I want to follow Jesus or can I even consider myself as a follower of Jesus? He was going to encourage the kind of people who are kind of on the edge like that. And Jesus said in Luke 22, he said, but I have prayed for you, Peter, that you would stay faithful to me no matter what comes. Remember this, after you have turned back to me and have been restored, make it your life mission to strengthen the faith of your brothers. Make it your life mission, your life mission to encourage, to strengthen, to lift up people who feel like the lightning's going to hit them. And today, I want to bring up this, mes- this message specifically to people who feel like they don't measure up, to people who feel like, honestly, my Christian faith is a bit of a joke. My spirituality is failing I'm not the kind of person that, that has anything to bring. I don't even feel like I can stand in, in what you call the presence of God. I don't even know what that means because I feel so distant from where, from where uh, God is right now. This is a message for fledgling believers. You like that word? I, I looked that word up, fledgling. You ever heard that word? Is that just me? Maybe it's British. You've heard that word? Okay, cool. I wonder if it was a British thing. But it just means sort of inexperienced, underqualified raw, unseasoned freshman Christians who sort of are just starting out. In the days when the, the New Testament was written, there was an entire ethnic group of people who spiritually, they knew and everybody else knew that they were spiritually better off and they were kind of viewed themselves and everybody else viewed them as being in a kind of a higher echelon. The Jewish nation of Israel had the experience of, be- of being known as God's chosen people, being a holy nation. They felt that ahead of every other nation, they belonged to God. And what was actually true was that God wanted to start with this nation, and as it says right at the very beginning of the Bible, was that He wanted to bless all nations as a result of Israel. His special relationship with them was to be a starting point to bless the whole world. Now, a big part of the New Testament is written, is made up of letters that are written by people like Peter and Paul and James, writing letters to individuals and to churches and to small kind of house group sized communities, probably groups of less than 10, you know, very, very coronavirus-esque there, you know, groups, small groups, house groups that are meeting in church, in, um, in homes uh, across the known world back then. And Peter's writing one letter specifically that we're going to look at today to a group of people who aren't Jews, a group of people who don't feel like they're the the higher echelons of spirituality here. They're not privileged. They're not in Jerusalem. Like In Jerusalem, 
when the church started on the day of Pentecost, it became a mega church instantly. There were thousands of people, and uh, you know, thousands, three thousand people on day one, and then five thousand people a few days later, and thousands of people growing and serving and worshiping Jesus together. But he wrote, but Peter wrote a letter to a church, to a group of individual small house-sized churches that were nothing like this. They're not in Jerusalem. They're, he's writing to a very different group of people. He's writing to Christians who are in what was then known as Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. And it's, it's written to churches that were in scattered villages all across that region. So this letter that he wrote kind of would, you know, would arrive at the, the house church of, of one group of people. And then whoever distributed it would take it on a horse to the next group and the next group. And, uh, and so on and so forth. And so these were people who were living like scattered followers of Jesus. They were persecuted. They were discriminated against. They were living all over Asia Minor under Roman occupation. They were small house group churches of people living like refugees. They were socially distanced. And Peter wants to breathe something new into these people. He wants to breathe something new into people who feel like we're less than. We, we, we barely can even call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ because of everything that's coming against us. And he wants them to know that they're not forgotten. Today, I want to encourage you, if you're feeling like one of those fledgling believers in Jesus Christ that's sort of feeling like you're teetering on the edge, you are not forgotten and God has a place and a plan for you in his community. A couple of chapters in to this letter that Peter writes to these, these scattered Christians, these socially distanced Christians across Asia Minor, he says these words to them. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You know, I think when this letter got distributed from house, from one village to a house in another village, that there would have been individuals looking at that letter thinking, I think some mail has crossed here. Because he's talking about us being the chosen people, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, God's special possession. It, did, it didn't seem like it was a letter for them. It probably seemed like it was a letter for the Jews. Like they would read, read that line that says, you are a chosen people. You'd read that line, they'd read that line that says, you are a chosen people. And they'd think, that, I'm not sure that this makes sense for us. Well, you know what? You and I have to accept that we are chosen by God. We didn't get here because of our own cleverness or because of something great that we did. It's because God did it. You know, I know you think you, you, you chose to go to Facebook this morning and to uh, pop open this uh, live stream, uh, unless somebody dragged you into the living room to watch it on your TV or something, which may have happened, in which case, thanks for, thanks for coming and sorry for whoever that was that did that. Uh, there's nothing spiritual about that, about flipping on a, a, a church's service online. But there is something spiritual about choosing to follow Jesus and there's something unique about that because God in the process is choosing us too. I think Jesus makes it really, really clear when he talks by saying, you're not choosing me, I'm choosing you. 
it's hard for us to believe and understand, knowing how much of a failure we are, knowing how less than we are sometimes, to believe that God is choosing us. You know, at this point, when we in our lives were, were sort of fodder for a lightning bolt, God doesn't strike us to, to kill us. He strikes us to bring us alive. He does something, even when we're spiritually dead, He does the work that makes us into spiritually alive people. Ephesians 2 says this, But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, that means rich in mercy, meaning He's got a lot of it to give, which we'll be the recipients of that, right? God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sins, in our transgressions. Doesn't that seem great? That even at a time when we were, we were able, spiritually able to bring nothing, God made us alive in Christ. God made you alive. You didn't make yourself spiritually alive, and you somehow got to this Facebook Live this morning, and there's no lightning bolts hitting you. God is not here to strike you down. He's here to make you spiritually alive. God's plan for our lives is for us to be spiritually alive, to be His chosen people. So something's deep, something deeper is going on. Peter's, Peter's, remember, Peter's goal is to encourage. Peter's goal is to strengthen. His mission in life is to lift up and inspire believers who, who feel like they, they don't have it all together. And Peter comes to this group of people, and I believe God's word comes to us together today and says, you are a chosen people. Where if you feel like you are so socially distant from everybody else at this church community that we call Anthem, I want to remind you that God says that you are His chosen people. And He said it to this group of scattered Christians who were so distanced from one another, who didn't feel like they were close to the action in Jerusalem or this, this mega church, what was taking place in Jerusalem. They felt so distant from it all and were only able to hear about uh, the message of Christ through, through a, a messenger like, like Peter or others coming to them. And, th- and they realized Yes, we are a chosen people. Peter says another thing to this group of people uh, in these verses. He says, you're a chosen people. And he says, you're a royal priesthood. You're a royal priesthood. Now, that's, that's unusual language, right? He's making two separate statements here in, in, in this little phrase when he says, I'm, I'm a royal priesthood. Firstly, he's saying, you are, you are royalty. You are a child of the king. We sung that already this morning. I'm a child of God Yes, I am. We, we already have, have declared that our understanding that we are children of God. We get, to, we get to come to God as children of the King of Kings. Not because we were born into His, his family, but, we were, but because He adopted us into His family. And therefore, we've been given the full rights as sons and daughters of the King. So like, just as a, as a quick thought, remember that today. When you're in your last when you're in your darkest moments today or later this week or as this week goes on, remember that you are an are a adopted child of the king with the full rights of a son or a daughter of the king of kings of God. Now, there's another phrase he uses. He says, you're a royal priesthood. And I want to just think about this for a few minutes because that's an unusual phrase. But I believe this is one of the most important things for followers of Jesus to understand about who we are as we represent God on this earth. Um, This whole idea of us being a priesthood. 
Now, some of you grew up in a traditional church. You grew up with an Episcopal priest or you grew up with a a Catholic priest. Um, uh, And it seemed that that, the Catholic or Episcopal priest may have, in your background, had some sort of a special relationship or special contact connection with God that you didn't have. Um, This is, in a sense, a throwback to Old Testament times when the, the priest in the Old Testament of the Jewish people would, would go into the temple. Now, everybody could go into the temple, but he would go into what was called the Holy of Holies. Once a year, he would go into the Holy of Holies, which was a, an area of the temple surrounded by a massive, thick curtain that once a year, the priest would go in and he would make what was called an atonement or make it a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And then he would come out and they could go on with their lives for another year. Now, when Jesus died, something huge happened to that system. When Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus uh, uh, offered his last breath and died as a sacrifice for our sins, the whole significance of this all just came together. Nobody knew it was going to happen. Nobody was waiting for it or expecting it. But the Bible says in Matthew 27, when Jesus cried out in a loud voice and gave up his spirit, it says at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So you've got this curtain in the temple that separates everything that is holy. Everything, in a sense, that separates regular people from the divine, from God. And this, this thick curtain is just a visual, um, uh, obvious way to, dis- to basically to say, you can't come in here. And the Bible says that when Jesus died, that massive, thick, high, tall curtain ripped itself in two from top to bottom. It's not that, that men did it. It's that God did it. Because God was offering a message to everybody then and to you and I today, basically saying and, 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 and announcing to the world that now through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, everybody can come into that area that, was, that seemed to be reserved for a priest entering into God's presence. So you and I have the same rights to enter God's presence as a priest. You have the same rights to come directly to God because we believe in Jesus, the great high priest, who's gone through the curtain for us, who's made a perfect sacrifice for our sins. You and I, however disconnected we feel, however much of a sinner we feel, whether it seems like um, you know, the lightning could strike me at any time, if I put my trust in Jesus I, and, and in Him alone, I can enter into that holy place and be present in the same way that a priest would be able to do the same. You know, you have the same rights and the privileges of a priest. Um, you have the same ability to speak to God. Um, and you also have that same responsibility as well. You have that, res- that same responsibility as a priest. Um, my, my pastor, when I was a, a kid and a, a, a teenager, his name, he was, he was uh, from Switzerland. His name was Jean-Jacques Zbinden, and he had this incredible but awful Swiss accent. And, uh, and he would say that we have a unique responsibility, trying to say that we have this unique responsibility, but it would always come out, we have a eunuch responsibility. And I was always thinking, no, 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 I don't, I don't have any eunuch responsibilities. But like, he just wanted to make it really clear that we have this unique privilege to be in God's presence, but we have a unique, unique emphasis on the unique responsibility to represent God to the people around us as well. 
I want to I make it real clear today that you are as much of a, of, a, of a priest as I am. And you are as much of a priest and part of the priesthood as perhaps somebody who even in our community you would call a priest. You know, this, this feeds into our church as a local community too. It's, it's very easy for people in a church, and I totally understand why, to believe that they are at one level and their leaders, their pastors like myself and Liz, uh, are at a different level. I, and I categorically want to say that it's not true, that I have that same ability to come to God and pray for you as you do for me and as you do for Liz and other leaders in the church. We are all, the, 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 somebody said that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter who we are, we all come bringing nothing and we, we, we exist bringing nothing as well because it's by the grace of God that we have a relationship with Him. Uh, a little while ago, I'm going to call somebody out here at Anthem, and I don't think she'll mind, but I was, some of us were chatting on one of our breakthrough groups, and I was talking to Courtney, and uh, Courtney mentioned something about, uh, about, she'd only been with us for a little while, and then she said something about your church, and she was talking about Anthem, and she said, oh, yeah, but your church, and, and I kind of like kind of cut her off in mid-sentence. I'm not the most subtle person sometimes, but I, I cut her off and said, how about you change that and say our church? Um, because every single one of us is a part of this. And I think, I believe, this is, I believe from the bottom of my heart, that it's a step up for people who are part of a church community like Anthem to move from saying, this is your church, or I really like what you do at your church, or I don't like their church or that church, but to make a step up and say, this is our church, and I'm a part of it. And not because I'm looking for rights or privileges, but, but because I'm, I'm willing to walk into the system and take ownership and take uh, the privilege and the responsibility of serving in that community. And I was really glad, like a, a week or so later, after I'd sort of said this you know, to her, um, I introduced somebody uh, on our Anthem church community group as a new person to our church, and her response immediately was, welcome to our community. And I'm like, awesome. We're, we're, we're moving from being that place where this is your church to this is our church, and we're a part of it. Now, I, uh, I never want to shy away from the responsibility and from the calling that I believe God has given me to be, uh, the, to, to be the leader at Anthem at this point in time, in this moment. That may change in the future. Who knows? But, but like for now, this is, I believe it's my responsibility and Liz's responsibility and our calling to be the pastors at Anthem. But I also never have asked anybody to call me pastor. I've never asked, Liz has never, anybody, Liz has never asked anyone to call her pastor. We know it's our responsibility, and hopefully you do too, but I never want to even us, and I have to make sure I say this in the right way, I don't even want us to hint at the fact that our role might be more significant than yours is and in whatever vocation or profession, depending on how you would call it, you, you see God as calling you to. Because whether you run a home business, or whether you're an executive, or whether you're in academia, or whether you're a plumbing contractor, whatever your, your vocation is, I, re- I believe those things are deeply spiritual, and they're spiritual in the church as well as spiritual in the marketplace. 
and that God has called us in specific vocations where he has put us. And in the same play, way, I probably wouldn't address you as you know, construction worker or, or, um, or professor or something like that. I don't, don't necessarily believe that people should address me as pastor in order to respect the role that I have. And I would respect your role in the same way that I think you respect mine. I do believe that, um, that leaders of churches need to take on a biblical responsibility. Peter says a little further in chapter 5, he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. And he's obviously talking to the leaders of these small churches. Watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. I take these, I take these uh, callings very seriously. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. It's really easy for leaders in, in, in my position to get to that place where they inadvertently do start lording it over people in their community. I've seen so many examples that use their, their role to, to manipulate or to coerce or control or bring pressure or intimidate or scare individuals in the community. And I pray that that won't be true of us. I pray that we will always honor one another as a kingdom of priests in God's family, in this local community, as a kingdom of priests, represent, uh, recognizing our corporate responsibility to minister to God and to minister to the people that are around us, the, the people that God has called us for our mission, those around us. God calls leaders to never lord it over those entrusted to them. But he calls all of us to be that kingdom of priests. I want to encourage you to pray, God, what does that mean for me? What does it mean for me to take on that responsibility that maybe I've kept at an arm's length because I thought someone else is more spiritual, someone else can take care of that, someone else can, can honor God in that way. I'm going like, to have one foot in and one foot out because I'm not really sure I have what it takes. I want to ask you to, to step up in your belief that I am a priest in the house of God. Every single one of us have that role. He says you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. He also calls this community up in their faith by saying, you're a holy nation. Now again, this was, this was um, language that these individuals would have expected to be spoken of the Jews because they were always known as the holy nation. But it seems like God's saying to us through this that we, as followers of Christ, we're not, we're not a nation as in, you know, surrounded by a landmass in a specific country. Wherever followers of Jesus are, we are, the, we are the nation of Jesus. We are the nation of Jesus in the world. We are the part of the kingdom of God. So you and I are to view ourselves as Christians first and Americans second. That's a challenge for some of us. We'd, we'd view ourselves as Christians first, parents second. Maybe, maybe you take very seriously, dads, your role as a father, and I commend that and I honor that. But maybe we've got to take our role as fathers as secondary to being children of God, to being, to being followers of Christ in this nation of Jesus. Maybe you're a Christian first, and a, a junior at Bedford High School second. All right, Ethan? Like, it's, it, you know, we, we take our, our, our Christianity, our faith in God as being number one, a Christian first, and a Democrat or a Republican second, right? Really? Let's, let that, just that bit alone, if we think about that for long enough, that's going to challenge the way we live. 
all the ways that we identify ourselves, all the ways that we label ourselves and box ourselves in should come as a second to saying, I am a child of God. I have a seat at my Father's table. I have a place in heaven. I, have, I, I am a child of God. That's who I am. This doesn't mean we're to dishonor our earthly country. It doesn't mean that we're to uh, disconnect from the, the country that we're in. We still honor and respect our leaders. And anarchy is not a, a godly trait for any follower of Christ, especially during a time of, of such uh, tension during our country that we're in now. Peter seems to say you can do both. Peter says that you, you can the, the church, believers in Jesus Christ, can can follow their can be a part of their primary nation of Jesus while still honoring the political process. It's a fascinating little verse further down where in First uh, Peter two seventeen he says this: Show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. Honestly, those, those seem like, like contradicting thoughts right there, to fear God and honor the emperor. You know which emperor they're talking about? They're talking about the emperor Nero. This guy is famous for, for putting Christians to death. He's, why would Peter be saying, honor that guy in a time when it felt to them, like how are we supposed to honor a national leader who is, who's vehemently against our people, but there is a way to do it. It reminds me of that verse in Romans 12, 18 that says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Jesus has put us in this nation of Jesus, scattered across the country, scattered, socially distanced that we are right now, and saying to us, you're to live at peace with everyone. You're to bring peace wherever you go. Peter's saying you're a holy nation. It's a big statement to say that our number one allegiance should be to Jesus. And this isn't, this isn't because of our background. It's not because of our parents. It's not because we're Jewish. It's not because we have a history of being holy. It's saying, I have made you a holy nation. You know, our primary identity is not wrapped up in who we are. It's defined by whose we are. It's defined by the fact that we have been We've had a new creation being made in us because of the work of Jesus. 2 Corinthians, uh, Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has come, bowed the knee to Jesus, said, all right, Jesus, it, it is all yours. It's all or nothing. That person is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. One, one version says, like, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. God has, has created something brand new in us. As I finish up, I want to read that verse one more time that I started with. First uh, Peter 2.9. If you haven't ever written this one down and put it on your bathroom mirror, do it as a reminder of who you are when you feel weak, when you feel like a target for lightning bolts, when you feel like you have no right to come into, into church or God's family in whatever format that might be. I want to remind yourself, First Peter 2, remind you, First Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession. And then here's the why. Here's the big why. Why, God, why did you do this? Why did you allow me to be this person? And he says to, uh, uh, that you may declare the praises 
of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You see, it's all to get glory back to God at the end of the day. It's all so that we can declare the greatness of who God is. Folks, I am dying to get back to meet with you and I in person so that we can show corporately uh, decision uh, on a day-to-day basis to worship God. Between now and then, we just have to do online and know that you're checking into our uh, Anthem Church Spotify page and, and, and kind of worshiping together in whatever format we can or watching some of those worship sessions, which I hope will encourage you. But I want to be with God's people worshiping together and together saying, yes, it's because we are, we, we, we're here to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You know, history tells us that by the end of AD 200, the province of Asia Minor, like that part of Turkey where these Christians were that Peter was writing to, the province of Asia Minor was almost all Christian. Can you believe that? That there were, I think the number was about 200,000 Christians in that area. 200,000 followers of Christ from a few individual scattered little groups of less than 10 people that this one letter went out to inspire and to encourage people. You're a chosen people. Don't ever forget that you're a kingdom of priests. Don't ever forget you're a holy nation, that you're God's special possession to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God has got a plan for every follower of Christ to walk into and to live and experience that scripture. Let's continue to do that as we worship this morning.